Hello, this is the Prevention Works podcast from the Australian Prevention Partnership Centre and we're bringing you members of the centre's multidisciplinary team to talk about Australia's problem with chronic illness and look at the research that will help us all become healthier. Today, we're outside Sydney's Charles Perkins Centre, looking at the rich green of a classic Australian sports oval on a fine sunny day. And there's a lot going on, walkers and joggers and football players all around. But despite our great weather and the beaches, bush, footpaths, ovals and parks all around us, as a nation, generally, we're just not doing enough physical activity. But why? I'm Gretchen Miller, and this episode brings you one of Australia's foremost researchers into physical activity. Adrian Bowman is Professor of Public Health at the University of Sydney, and he's just started a new project with the Prevention Centre to address a serious issue, how to get us all off our backsides and moving every day. And I'm remembering Norm now, a classic figure from the 1980s, which was well before social media and YouTube. And I was a kid then, but I think the idea was to nag us to get off the couch. Norm sticks in my head, so he must have been pretty powerful. And I wonder, is something like that appropriate now? Norm in the late 1970s resonated with lots of people. Some people identified with Norm as a figure that they wanted to be like and some realised that that was not what you needed to do to be healthy. And Norm, of course, was this big overweight guy who sat on the couch and drank beer and watched telly. So, yes, he wasn't really an aspirational figure. But that's only an information campaign. And basically we know that we can inform people about things. We informed people that smoking was a health risk until all smokers knew it was hazardous. But until we changed the smoking environment by regulation, by building smoke-free environments, we couldn't actually make the population change. And we need to do the same for physical activity. Most people know that being inactive is not good for them. Not so many know that being you can be active in many ways, it's not just exercise, but then we need to provide the infrastructure and cross-agency facilities to support that. Adrian, you have a long work history in this field. I wonder what is the most unexpected thing you've discovered in your work into Australian physical activity? What surprised you in your history of research? It surprises me that we don't take it seriously yet. It's as important an issue as smoking or being overweight or obese. People know those things are risk factors. They think physical activity means you have to be sporty or you have to go to a gym. And yet it doesn't mean those things. It means the totality of all that we do in physical activity. And we need to take it more seriously because it's a problem more prevalent than smoking and nearly as prevalent as overweight and obesity in Australia. So that's quite mind-boggling as we sit here. People are walking past, pushing prams, looking sporty. Here's an older woman in her sandals, obviously going for a walk. Why are we having problems with that in Australia? It depends where you look. If you look at our beaches on a summer weekend, there are little nippers running up and down and people cycling and walking their dogs. But if you move inland from those areas to our vast suburban sprawl of many of our larger cities, 
You see very little activity in parks other than organized sport. You see few people walking themselves or their dogs, and people are very, very inactive. They're watching television, kids and adolescents are spending time on screen time, and this hasn't changed in 25 years. There's no drugs for physical activity. We're very focused on things we can take a pill for. We can find alternatives to tobacco. We can take a pill for cholesterol. But PE, physical exercise, is kind of, in a strange way, outside the health sector. This is one of the critical challenges because even tobacco or overweight and obesity have become medicalized and there are therapies for them and they're part of the way you interact with your GP and part of the way the health system will interact with you. Physical inactivity is actually created by our physical environment, our urban planners, our transport engineers, our schools, our sporting facilities, our sporting ovals and our culture. So the actual drivers are outside the health system but it's a health problem amongst other things. So that it's very difficult to find solutions to a health problem outside the health sector and that's why taking a systems approach is part of this work with the Australian Prevention Partnership Centre and is essential to do so. What do you mean by systems approach? Tell me about this latest project. So this is a long-term and challenging project to get Australians to think about being more active and create the places, environments and resources where they can be. A systems approach means physical activity or physical inactivity is caused by the intersection of multiple pieces in society including all the sectors I described before. Different pieces interact and you can't just do one thing. So the project itself, you're starting out, what are you doing to begin with? The project will actually work with stakeholders, with governments, with non-government organisations, with professional groups to actually work out how they can understand each other's dynamic and contribution better, work out where the intersects are and where you can find intersects you can save costs in doing things together between agencies and hopefully build a more physically active Australia. So you're talking about getting the states and territories talking to one another. What's going on there? Is there no communication? One of the things is we have no national policy on physical activity. We've got national policies on tobacco control, we've got national policies on alcohol, on illicit drugs, national obesity strategies, but nothing specific to physical activity. And we've got a fragmented patchwork of policies across the states and territories. The first thing is going to be to map the physical activity context in Australia, work out why we've got policy levers that we might influence better and get communicating together and in that way build the communications to increase physical activity. Can you give me an example of the different strategies between say New South Wales and uh, the Northern Territory? Some states and territories have a particular focus in which physical activity is embedded. For example, a childhood obesity strategy is one of the Premier's priorities in New South Wales. Other states and territories have a focus on physical activities part of the sports sector, so we'll approach it through the Department of Sport and Recreation. Different approaches to physical activity don't create good communications or standardised policies, and it's that that we're going to try and work with to build for the first time a cross-sectoral framework that encompasses all the agendas and we can at least map where we are. 
We are bombarded daily in all directions with instructions on diet and exercise from high intensity interval training to joining gyms, from yoga to Pilates to the Fitbit, the ever prevalent Fitbit, doing your 10,000 steps. It really does seem to me to be in the daily public conversation. So why are we still sitting around? Exercise is in the daily public conversation as are diets, but these are transient media stories which generate transient interest. I could do that, I might think about doing that, but it's not describing the way in which we live our lives, whether we use the stairs, whether we walk to the shops, whether we catch public transport. Physical activity is in fact ideally embedded into everything we do, It's not just exercise or sport. Even Fitbits and wearable devices are a transient phenomenon applied to a large number of people for a short period of time. They're not going to make Australians more active by themselves until we change the way we think about moving more. Is there anyone in the world who does think about moving more? There are several cultures and countries where moving is part of the way they think about themselves. Scandinavia is the obvious example, and I don't just mean bicycles in Copenhagen, I mean the entire ethos in Norway, Sweden and Denmark favours physical activity. Canadians also have physical activity as part of their DNA and to a certain extent across the ditch our New Zealand cousins also do. We don't, British people don't, Southern Europeans don't and many countries in the developing world rapidly industrialising are losing physical activity. Countries like China, India, Brazil as they move from active transport to moving in cars and not doing any physical activity during their day. So this research, though, will be one of the first in the world to develop a common framework for improving the systems to monitor and encourage physical activity. A world first. Most countries in the world have got physical activity nested somewhere, and we mentioned earlier either in sport or in an obesity strategy, sometimes in school education as a PE strategy. And few countries have attempted to put this together into a national framework. In Australia, we have a great need to do that, to bring a harmonised approach to what we're doing. We can't make states and territories do the same thing, but we can get them to think about it and open the conversation so they can all think about physical activity in the same way, know what they're doing and what they're not doing. And because we haven't made much of a difference to physical activity in three decades, we've got a lot of work to do. And if we work off the same hymn sheet, the same song sheet, we can do better across the country. This is Prevention Works, a podcast all about improving our health from the Australian Prevention Partnership Centre. I'm with Adrian Bowman, who's Professor of Public Health at the University of Sydney, and we're in a very noisy environment conducting a fascinating interview. Um, so you've mentioned that one of the problems that we have now is our obsession with elite sport. And I wonder how that's not working for the general public. Isn't it kind of part of that idea of the trickle-down effect where if we see elite sports people we might be inspired to be just like them. I've done a lot of research in this area. I've looked particularly at mass events and the Olympic Games and their effect on physical activity participation immediately afterwards and there is no evidence whatsoever for the trickle-down effect. Trickle-down effect is one of those myths that has achieved currency by the Chinese whispers across government departments and sporting agencies. At the moment, in 2018, we're in a good place in Australia because sport 
focuses on elite sport, but there's also been one of the cyclical moves to encourage community sport participation. And at the federal level, sport lives within the health ministry, Commonwealth Department of Health. And as such, community sport participation is part of their agenda. And that's a good thing. We really need to create grassroots examples of programs for people to play at all ages, not just for young people, but for old people as well, in all kinds of sports and cultural activities and recreations. We need to encourage them, as well as trying to win gold medals, but not putting all our sporting investment into the gold medal basket. It's having a mix of investments in, in sports sectors where we do foster community sports and not just elite sports or professional sports, because sport watching never conferred any benefit to the watchers. Olympic Games increase our national pride and our national sense of well-being when we had the games in Sydney. Infrastructure gains were real, but physical activity gains were not. And we need to think about how we can get a balance and sport focusing on elite training, but also focusing on development at the grassroots of sport for everyone, not in a competitive way, but in a participatory way. The sport clubs in Europe do this very well and have a grassroots framework that is excellent and we should aspire to be like that. In other words, they don't just target kids who are going to go on and become elite sports, they target participating for all kids at all levels. So they're not funneling kids into you can only be a cricketer, footballer, netballer or swimmer if you're a very good one, but everyone can be part of that activity. You've mentioned that measurement is actually really important and that if you invest in PE lessons in schools but you don't measure implementation, then you could be up for a fall. One of the problems in public health is we often have policies that are actually written and exist. Governments make a policy, you have to have mandatory PE in schools, for example. Every child should do physical education twice a week. But if you don't measure how many schools actually do that, then you're not measuring whether it's reaching all the kids in a society. You're only measuring that we've got, got a policy. And measuring policy implementation is an important part of this project to work out what are the indicators, how can we tell if a policy is being implemented. And sharing that with state and territory governments and the Commonwealth will be one of the key outcomes we'll do for physical activity. So. Once you've done this measurement, what happens then? Where do you go from there? What it may show you is that the policy is not being implemented well. You feed that back to government who then considers, can we do anything better, differently or more? Will it take more resources? What will it take to make every school implement a physical activity strategy? Then they realise it's got pockets. In some areas it's implemented well and in disadvantaged areas maybe less so or remote rural areas and how can we get those programs implemented so that it provides a feedback loop in the communication with governments and agencies saying this is how it's going or if it's going well just monitor the maintenance of it to make sure it doesn't slip over time. You already really know what each state and territory is doing differently. Once you get those territories talking to one another, then what do you do? Help them work out ways of cooperating and sharing a framework that we would build so that they can do things better and in synergy with each other. I'm an academic in a university. 
I can tell governments what to do as much as I like, but it doesn't mean that they'll do those things. But if you actually get them communicating and sharing ideas, working towards a common purpose, because governments want to make us healthier too, you can often get that kind of cooperative effort creating the synergies and the changes to practice over time. And practically speaking, for those on the ground, me, policy makers, that lass over there who's currently doing sprints, what might come out of this in practical terms? At the national level, I'd like to see our rate of physical activity going up rather than staying flat for the last 30 years. How do we make that happen, though? I'd like to see more support across agencies for building more facilities, for building an infrastructure that supports physical activity, for getting every general practitioner to ask about physical activity when they ask about tobacco, for getting every school to implement PE for all, not only for the kids who are fast runners, and getting that happening across the system is possible and will create a healthier Australia at relatively modest cost compared to the amount we spend on pharmaceutical medications for blood pressure or high cholesterol, which are the results of poor diet and inactivity. All right, so I'm interested in, as we are a very multicultural community, the cultural issues that we're looking at here. We're so multicultural, we have so many diverse groups, but we have got some major migrant populations. And you need to think carefully about what those major migrant populations would conceptualise physical activity to be. One of the things might be that many parents might take their kids out of sport and give them extra lessons after school. What you need to do there is encourage them to think about physical activity in kids improves kids' academic performance. Other kids may have other cultural groupings may have specific activities, cultural dance or a passion for football or something that's particular to their culture and it may be possible to run programs locally and in regional areas that reflect that. One of the good examples of that in some of the suburban pools in parts of Western Sydney is they opened those pools only to women to encourage Muslim women to come to aquarobics and swimming programs in the mornings, 10am to noon, because those were low-use periods. All of a sudden, they were flooded with people wanting to come and do something because they changed the way swimming pools operated for a brief period of time. And that kind of thing is doable it can make economic sense and it can provide opportunities for large cultural groupings to engage in activity that they enjoy and would want to do. I was reading that I have to do between 150 to say 300 minutes of physical activity a week and I am actually a bit of a jogger but not a serious one and it actually made me go oh no seriously maybe I'm not even making the grade with my jogging. Does it have to be that hard? First of all what that means is roughly 30 to 60 minutes a day of moderate activity. So if you walk to the bus and walk home from the bus, you're getting your rec recommended levels. If you walk the dog, you're actually getting your recommended levels. Secondly, that applies to moderate intensity activity, and you've only got to do half that much if it's vigorous, like jogging or vigorous cycling or lap swimming or playing football or netball. So that for your jogging three times a week for 
20-25 minutes would actually get you well into the threshold easily so that we really need to get people to understand that it's not that hard to achieve in your daily life to move around that much not only if you get a chance to jog or play sport or go to the gym. So it can be as simple as taking the stairs? Simple as taking the stairs but you need to take the stairs every day. You need to walk up three or four flights of stairs twice a day. That'd get you close to your recommended levels. Okay, it's as simple as that. It really isn't that much. What about window shopping or walking around the supermarket? Now that's interrupted walking where you're walking and then stopping and one of the key things is we mean continuous activity so whatever it is a continuous walk even walking the dog and stopping at every tree is fairly continuous <laughs> so continuous activity is health enhancing window shopping is really stopping for a minute or two and then walking for a minute and that's not what we mean is social media your friend in this case instagram facebook snapchat even this is a very complex question because we've used social media interventions to get people to talk to their friends and get them to go out and be active together. So it can be useful in getting people to bond and say, let's go for a walk and other people in your social media group will respond and you'll go and do something, whether it's going to kick a ball in the park or whatever it is, go down to the beach and have a swim. However, innately, Social media is an inactive pastime and lots of hours spent on social media means lots of hours spent being inactive. So the act itself of most forms of social media is sedentary, whereas it can be used as an intervention to encourage activity. All right, well, I do want to go back and ask you another question. What were you up to at the time of the Life Being at the Norm campaign? Where were you in your research then? And I wonder how it's changed, but also what drives you? In the mid-1970s to late 1970s, I was an undergraduate student at university. Um, I was a medical student and I was not physically active because I spent most of my life studying but I'd often go and play squash two or three times a week at about midnight with my colleagues when we finished studying. But the whole concept of making population change and the norm mass media campaign were foreign to me at that point because as a medical student I was focusing on individual patients and it took me a decade after graduating until I came back to public health and realized you can make more of a difference by taking a whole population approach and that not all of the answers lived in the health sector, especially in the area of prevention. It took me to a public health degree and a PhD and it took me to start to work in preventive health and gradually it took me outside of the health system to work with a whole range of other agencies because making people more physically active or helping people give up smoking or lose weight are all things that require systems approaches or multiple agencies not just one health piece of advice from your general practitioner or one health intervention. Of course, at the extreme end, when you develop diabetes, when you develop heart disease, which are all related to smoking and overweight and obesity and physical inactivity, then you need the best medical care that you can have. But 
at the population level and especially internationally where I do a lot of this prevention work, we, we can't afford to have that epidemic of disease down the track. So we have to try and help people lead healthier lifestyles now and help those countries make better environments to support those lifestyles. So given the messages that do already exist out there to some degree, even if it's in a haphazard and non-systemic way, why is getting Australians to move such a complex notion? Are we too laid back? We make lots of excuses for not being active. The commonest excuse is we report that we don't have enough time, we're too busy to be active. However, most adults, most teenagers, most children find time for two to three hours of screen time, television or small screen device time every day. And we live in a fairly safe environment. That time could be spent playing with the kids in the backyard, out walking in their communities. There's all kinds of time which we could use. Even when we drive to the local shops, which might only be a few hundred meters, we could walk that trip and do things slightly differently. So that we need to reframe the way we think about moving and we also need to reframe that it isn't exercise because a lot of people say I'm not sporty, my body shape wouldn't look any good in lycra, I'd be embarrassed going to a gym or all those young people at the gym, what would I do there? So we need programs that have people in street clothes doing physical activity, age appropriate and match. So you're doing activities with people in your 60s if you're in your 60s. And you're doing things that are not necessarily sporty, not necessarily perceived as exercise, but are moving more and doing you good. Or you're building those things into everyday life. We have a habit of driving round and round and round the block looking for a parking space. I've even seen this in country towns in Australia. Whereas if we parked 15 minutes, walk away and walked that distance, it would be time equivalent, but we'd get half our daily physical activity through the process. So easy. Um, it is interesting that we do have really great infrastructure. We're sitting here at a gorgeous park, which is being used at the moment by a jogger. We've got great beaches. We've got footpaths. We've got pretty good infrastructure. For most Australians, our climate is actually very favourable. And we might complain that it's too hot or it's too cold or it's too wet, but compared to Northern Europe, compared to Central Africa, compared to tropical Brazil, we actually have very favourable environmental conditions. Think about this as a challenge for Australians. Finnish people are actually more active in the middle of their dark, cold winter than we are, which means we must be spending an awful lot of time just sitting around. You're getting the data and having studied this for decades, you already have a good idea, I think, of the answers. What are you going to do next? The next steps will be to test the feasibility of some of these changes to the built environment, to people's perceptions, test some innovative programs around maybe getting people to travel in more active ways, identify what's the return on investment from physical activity intervention so that governments can know this is as cost-effective as losing weight, start to build capacity for doing physical activity actions at the state level but also amongst professional groups, also moving and taking this knowledge outside of Australia through my WHO, World Health Organization Collaborating Centre, and sharing this with other countries, all of whom, many of whom, also have physical inactivity as a major, under-recognised problem.
Yes, because this is going to be a world first, isn't it? So you are hoping to take it around the world. Hoping to share this in the hope that other countries will adopt the systems approach to thinking systemically rather than thinking just about the individual, you need to do more, why don't you go and do it? But thinking about all the cues, the social and environmental cues that can make us an active Australia, we've got the environment, we've just lost the message and the capacity to do it in the last five or six decades. Thanks to Professor Adrian Bowman here on the Prevention Works podcast from the Australian Prevention Partnership Centre. Thank you. On their website, you'll find more information into the research we've been discussing and more podcasts with nutritionists, lawyers, epidemiologists and urban planners. They're all at preventioncentre.org.au. I'm Gretchen Miller. See you next time.